Hi, I'm Nicola Elliott and this is the No BS Guide to Wellbeing. It's a place where I'm going to speak to experts in the field of wellbeing who all have a few things in common. So number one, they believe that wellbeing should be absolutely BS free. And number two, they've all been given the challenge of providing us with five of their top tips for wellbeing that we can all easily apply to our lives. Because I believe that the small steps can make a big difference. And hopefully this podcast can take the challenge out of wellbeing and can really empower you in an easy and a simple way to feel your best. This is a podcast I have been looking forward to for so long. It's with Mo Gaudat. I first read his first book, Soul for Happy, when I was going through like a really bad period of anxiety. And it was one of those books that just kind of rewired my brain. So Mo is a former chief business officer at the innovation arm of Google X. After an awful life event happened he lost his son he decided that if he could crack codes for google then he could create a code for happiness he's written this book and his approach to true happiness is that everyone can be happy regardless of the circumstances even in terrible circumstances they can be happy so he's going to talk through what that formula is and then he's also going to talk about his new book which is called scary smart which sounds like it's about ai it kind of is but it's actually about how computers are going to take over the world for sure but how we have to teach them compassion so you can learn how a tech businessman ended up creating a global happiness formula and that actually being his lifelong mission. And of course, he's going to tell us his five ways for well-being, as we always ask on the podcast. Although I have to tell you that he WhatsApp me when I asked for that and said he had 50 ways <laughs> for better well-being. So maybe that's another podcast. But um, I hope you love this and, and appreciate him as much as I do. He's fantastic. So Mo, before we start, I have to apologise. I asked you to be on the Neon podcast and I said, please could you be on the podcast because your amazing book, Solve for Happy, was in my top three books. And you wrote back and said, oh, but what were the other two? And then I was like, oh God, I don't think there are two (laughs) others. I think I've bought a hundred copies of your book. No joke. Oh my God, thank you. At least. Well, not to just wallpaper my walls with, but I've given them to so many people, people at work for me, people as birthday presents. Like I love that book. It totally changed the way I look at life. So massive thank you. Oh no, thank you. I mean, at at the beginning, I thought you bought a hundred of them because you had to read it a hundred times, but I thought maybe you can read the same one twice. Exactly. Spreading it is actually the best thing you could ever do. I'm so grateful. Yeah. Uh, You know, the the idea of the mission is to spread the happiness. So thank you. Yeah. Well, it was, it was a book that I, um, that I read when I was, when I really was suffering from anxiety and it was just one of those things that just kind of reframed everything and once you you know once you've done that you can't undo it so that gift is oh that's great yeah really 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 thank you and I've just dived into that without introducing you and I, I I'm hoping I assume that most people know who are listening to our podcast who you are Mo but for anyone who's been living under a rock um you developed um an algorithm after working at Google X didn't you as um as a pretty pretty high up tech executive there you developed an algorithm for happiness after sort of years of researching um what happiness means 
before we dive into your second book, which I absolutely want to talk about as well, it's like super, super exciting. Just tell us a little bit about Solve for Happy because um, and the happiness equation that you created because that's a that's a must read, obviously. Uh, uh, well, yeah, I mean, um, Solve for Happy is um, if you want an engineer's approach to the topic of happiness. So we we tend to um, think of happiness as this mystical thing where people um, you know need to be very spiritual or they need to find uh, a certain practice or uh, you know do yoga or st- i don't know say om or stuff like that that's not true at all i mean when i when i was suffering my own uh, down you know lowest moments of my life uh, i realized that happiness was very predictable it could actually be uh, um, uh, you know, summarized so accurately in a, in a mathematical equation. And anything that can be uh, summarized in a mathematical equation for a mathematician is something that you can reproduce on demand. You just need to put the right parameters, the right values in the parameters of the equation, and you should hopefully get the same result uh, every time. Uh, for those who may not know uh, the, the whole story, I, you know, I, I researched happiness for 12 years as a very successful, super rich uh, tech executive who is completely depressed. So I had everything that life could give me and I was completely depressed. And and then uh, surprisingly, I published the book uh, after I lost my wonderful uh, son who was 21 uh, at the time and he was the true pride of a father, you know, tall, handsome, smart, kind, loving, everything about him was amazing. And we lost him due to uh, um, a preventable medical error. And uh, instead of finding myself collapsing, uh, I actually found myself uh, really, um, you know, thriving, if you want, in terms of writing what he taught me about happiness uh, in that book, Soul for Happy, and sharing it with the world, with the uh, hopefully with the mission uh, to make, at the time, we wanted to make 10 million people happy. And then the you know the universe conspired to help myself and the small team behind it, and so we're now chasing a, a mission to make a billion people happy. And wow. uh, hopefully, hopefully we get to a fraction of that, and then life would be amazing. Wow, what a life, Mo! Do you so do do you think that we are born happy? Um, Absolutely. You do? No doubt about it. Absolutely. I mean, it does take quite a bit of research. I mean, you you may need to spend like 14 minutes on YouTube or something. (laughs) Search for children, right? Like, look for children. Children are always happy. Yeah, they cry and fuss if uh, if uh, if a nappy is wet. But if they if they have if they have their basic needs for survival, if they're safe, if they're loved, if they are. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, warm. If they don't, there is no, there are no scary noises around them. If they have what they need, our, uh, you know, their their default setting is happy, and that's the, the default setting for us too. By the way, I mean, you you remember the time when uh, your boss didn't annoy you, and you know your your partner didn't say something uh, stupid, and you know uh, the government didn't lock you uh, up, and. What what was your your state? You would wake up on a mon- on a Sunday morning and sit in the sun and feel happy. You don't need anything from outside you to feel happy. It's your innate default setting, uh, mm-hmm. and 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 we grow out of happiness into unhappiness. It's not the other way around. And and probably this is one of the reasons why most people rarely ever manage to find their happiness because they're looking for it outside them. 
While in reality, what we need to do is to remove the unhappiness, to remove the conditioning that got us out of our default setting. And then what's left behind is our real self and our real self is happy. And and that brings us really onto the the equation, which which is not, by the way, if you've not read the book, Mo telling you the equation doesn't ruin it for you because it kind of is at the beginning and then the book explains it. But can you tell us what that equation is, Mo? Yeah, I want, I want to ruin it. I mean, I'm not about selling books as much as I am about <laughs> spreading, spreading happiness. But the, no, the but idea you might, is... you might think that you, you know, oh, well, there's no point in reading the book if you know that's if is the 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 part the big reveal at the end. But it's but it's not is what I'm saying. There's no, 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 no. It's, it's chapter than... one actually. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, in in chapter one we talk about the I call it actually the truth about happiness, and and the truth about happiness is that. Um, um, if you look back at every moment in your life that you ever felt happy, uh, there is one common theme that goes across all of them. And, and often we don't realize that. So, so it's not that there is um, something in specific that makes us happy or unhappy or certain situations that make us happy or unhappy. The only common thing among all of the moments in, in your life where you felt happy was that at those moments, life seemed to be meeting your expectations. Life seemed to be going your way. It's as simple as that. So the thing that gets us unhappy is when we're disappointed, when we miss our, when, when life misses our expectations, basically. Mm -hmm. And so you can summarize that in a very simple uh, equation. The equation is your happiness is equal to or greater than the difference between the, the, the events of your life and your expectations of how life should be. And so re really what is happening is, there is no specific event that triggers happiness or unhappiness. It's that comparison in your head. Huh? So constantly, uh, as we started this podcast, you may go like, okay, he sounds interesting. Uh, I'm, I'm happy I can spend a little bit of time. And then I speak about something and then you go like, ah, well, this is a waste of my time. I don't want to put myself you know, through this. And then you feel unhappy. It's you're constantly making that comparison. Uh, we, the, some scientists say up to 60,000 times a day. And, wow. and when that's the speed at which your brain uh, is is going, and and you could you could do it uh, if if your day changed sixty thousand times. But we normally do it when our environment changes, which gives you a very strong clue why unhappiness actually exists in the first place. Unhappiness, if you look at the happiness equation, is what we feel when uh, life misses our expectations, or basically when the events are suboptimal for us. It's it's your brain's way of looking at the world around it and saying, this doesn't look right to me. This is not my optimum mode of survival. Uh, you know, something could go wrong. I need to do something about it. So it alerts you. It alerts you in the form of an emotion. It could be unhappiness. It could be regret. It could be uh, shame, fear, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and those emotions are, uh, I call them the fire alarm. Really, they, they act as a fire alarm. Their role in your life is to tell you that you um, that, that, that there is something that you need to act upon. Now, the interesting part of this is when you understand that about uh, unhappiness, you realize that maybe we should react to unhappiness like we react to the fire alarm. You know, when, when, we, when there is a fire alarm, what do we do? We get up, we look around, we leave the building, and then we try to verify if there is a fire or not. If there is a fire, we call, you know, emergency and, and we do something about it, right? 
And, and that's not what we do with unhappiness. And interestingly, uh, yeah, a survival mechanism, uh, which is what unhappiness is, is useful for your life. But it's useful to the extent that you use it to avoid uh, unfavorable situations. But if you get stuck in those unfavorable situations, your your partner says something annoying on Friday, and so Saturday you, you play it again, and Monday you play it again, and on Tuesday you say it's because I'm fat, and on Wednesday you say because I'm you know I know I know he or she doesn't love me. You know all of that is unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's like almost it's almost like sitting in the room when the fire alarm goes off. And literally playing the fire alarm on again and again and again every time, uh, it, it, it you know it it goes quiet. So and how do we stop we do. that? How do we stop that? Then putting those kind of unrealistic expectations in life, and then being disappointed, and that loop kind of continuing. You know, is it is it as is it about spotting that? And Lo- lots of things. So so for the first thing actually is is spotting it. Okay, so so one of the things you know in my third book, not the one coming out in September, but the one coming out in uh, April, uh, which is called the that little voice in your head, I I talk about something I call the happiness flow chart, and in the happiness flow chart, basically the first thing you need to do to to react to your unhappiness is to recognize your unhappiness. And sadly, in our modern world today, Nicola, we, what what we do is we we um, we have. Um, we have sort of um, uh, eliminated our human side of allowing ourselves to feel emotions because in the modern world, you know, it, it has to be a, a, a stiff upper lip, I think is the, is the, is mm-hmm. the you know, is the term. You, you have to be very um, uh, um, uh, strong and, uh, you know, cannot be seen as vulnerable or weak. We have to, we can't take our emotions to work. We don't want to be, to cause troubles. And so what do we do? Instead of even, uh, uh, you know, keeping our emotions inside, we start to tell ourselves that we don't feel them in the first place. And so the first step is when you feel that something is wrong, acknowledge it. Like tell yourself, yeah, by the way, I feel irritated or I feel angry or, you know, nothing wrong with that. And and what we can do about it is very straightforward. I mean, when, when we were joking and saying the happiness equation is chapter one, the rest of the book, you know, the 13 other chapters are really about what you can do about it. But, but mainly, mainly, if you want to summarize it, uh, we don't feel unhappy so frequently because life is wrong all the time. So th- think about that. Huh? Events don't miss our expectations that often. Uh, sadly, the research will show that six to seven of every 10 thoughts that go in the adult brain are negative thoughts. So, so wow. can, you even, can you even conceive that, that 60 to 70% of your life is wrong? You, you wouldn't be here if that's the case. The truth is we exaggerate the negative. Hmm? Yeah. And, and if, you can, if you can manage to go through that negative and tell yourself, well, actually, it's not that negative. I, I'm just filtering life. I'm seeing it the wrong way. Or, you know, even if it is, maybe I should do something about it. Or maybe I should also realize that there is a lot of positive in my life that maybe I'm discounting when, I th- when I'm thinking about this. And, and we can go into this in, you know, in a lot of detail. Mm. But, but I will tell you openly, n- nobody... Nobody that, you know, unless you're going through chronic pain or, you know, you go through what I'm uh, on, on one of the books I'm working on, I, I, you know, the, the whole idea of trauma that, could, that takes you to the levels of PTSD, um, uh, you know, otherwise most of the 
micro or macro stressors that we feel in life are, are internal. They're brain generated. They're things that we create rather than things that life give us. Most of life is okay. It's like, um, I think it is about learning to sort of flick, flick that switch in, in many ways and, and flip those thoughts. But what, is, what does happiness mean to you, Mo? Like, are you, are you always happy now? And maybe, you know, after you said that about recognizing your emotions, <laughs> but, 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 but if you can really practice this and you, you, you've really kind of got this, are you seriously happy? No, no, nobody, nobody's always happy. Huh? So understand this, Un, you know, unhappiness is a survival mechanism. Okay. Yeah. We wouldn't want to stop it even if we could. It's like, it's like pain. Huh? Mm. You wouldn't want to cancel all pain because that means you would plug your finger into a power switch and not feel that you're being electric, electrocuted, right? So unhappiness has a use to it. It's, it's the repetitiveness of it that, that is not useful. Huh? So, so yes, I, of everyone feels unhappy very frequently. As a matter of fact, in the last two, three days, I, I, I actually managed to break my score. Huh? The, the game. Yes, yes, yes. I was un, I was unhappy for more than twenty four hours. Believe it or not. Really? And oh yes, yes. And I acknowledge that in front of everyone. The the truth, however, is happiness practitioners are not about avoiding unhappiness. They're all about bouncing back from unhappiness when we feel it. Okay. And believe it or not, because I'm an engineer and I measure, uh, uh, you know, a lot of what's happening in my life. My average time from going from realizing that I'm unhappy to going back to happiness is seven seconds. I love you've worked that out. That's brilliant. So it, 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 it's exactly the time that it takes for me to go through the happiness flow chart, which, uh, you know, I, I think we should share in more details. But that's the truth. I was going to th you thought you were going to say like seven days or something. Seven seconds. I think you're nailing, seven seconds. You're nailing this. Uh, no, but but that's how it should be yeah. for many reasons. Most things don't even deserve your unhappiness, right? But we create all of those scenarios of drama and and you know we, we just we just build story with like the best authors, fiction authors on the planet. Your partner comes from work on Friday. He or she says something hurtful or rude or whatever. You tell yourself a story that he or she doesn't love you anymore. But, but the only fact in this situation is that he or she said something rude or something hurtful. Uh, hurtful. And, and, and that's the only fact. The rest is fiction. Now, you have to ask yourself that question. Is it true? Is what my brain telling me true before, before I submit to my brain and feel the unhappiness? Is it true? This is the step, step one of the, uh, of, the, uh, of the happiness flowchart. If it's not true, why are you wasting time on it? So it's like, um, what's that saying? Where energy, where attention goes, energy energy flows, right? Absolutely, and yeah. and, and 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 we create our own reality. T tell me about, tell me more about the happiness curve because I feel we've got a bit of a, we've got a bit of an exclusive there. If you're if you're writing this book and it's coming out next year, I'm super interested in that. Before we go back to Scary Smart, which is. Mm. You're just like yeah, you're so, just so, doling these kind of these works of genius out, aren't you, mate? No, 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 no. I are. just write all. I, I write all the time, and I have that very strange habit of writing three to four books at the same time. Good lord! Uh, so I love it. I love it. So I, I write what I call nested subroutines. So I, I build the entire book structure uh, on one of the tabs on my Google Docs, and then and then every morning I wake up and just fill part of it, which is such a joy. 
So now, now I'm writing a book so that's called impressive. Finding Finding Love, which is fantastic. Really, one of my favorites. I'm writing uh, Her, which is about the feminine, which an amazing piece. What's uh, that one? Sorry, thinking. Finding Love and Her. Her. Uh, her. Yeah, and then I'm writing with a with a dear friend, Alice Law. We're writing uh, something called Stressed, which is very close, actually. We're 160 pages in. Uh, about stress and how you know how to handle stress in life and workplace and relationships and so on. Amazing. Uh, and so, so anyway, uh, um, uh, that um, uh, that little voice in your head is ready and edited and hopefully will be out in April. Uh, and it's basically that idea of how uh, your brain is constantly fooling you. And and I use a lot of neuroscience to try and explain exactly how that machine works. But I, but I actually, I think the part that I really enjoyed in writing that book is I compare our brains to computer systems and, you know, exactly how predictable they are when you compare them that way. And this is why I use something that's called the happiness flowchart, because this is the flowchart is the way we in computer code is normally written. You, you know how the machine will behave uh, if you want. And, and so, as I said, I mean, step one is ask yourself, right? So, so let, let, let's go through it quickly so yeah. that we put it in, in one section. Huh? Uh, the st- step one is to acknowledge your emotions, mm-hmm. embrace them and, and, and don't feel ashamed of them. Like next time you feel uh, irritated, you should jump up and say, oh my God, I'm irritated. I love it. Okay. And, and when, you, when you feel that and acknowledge it, uh, you, ne- you need to do one simple task. And if you do that task, I promise you it's checkmate. You're going to bounce back to happiness in seven seconds. And that simple task is to identify the thought that triggered that feeling. Okay. The thought is different than the event. Our, our brains fool us. Huh? So your partner says something hurtful. That's the event. The thought is he or she doesn't love me anymore or, uh, you know, I cannot live this way for the rest of my life or, uh, you know, um, whatever. You, you, you come up, our brains I come get up the with, with yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, our brains take that event, take it through the filters uh, of all of our conditioning and come up with a thought that is influenced by our own conditioning, our memories, our many other things, right? If you find that thought, then you have to ask three questions to checkmate. Uh, question number one is, is it true? As I said, you know, is it is is what my brain telling me true? Is is my partner really not in love with me anymore? Or, uh, or is she or he uh, stressed at work today? Okay. Yeah. If it's not, if it's not true, drop it. It's very simple. Huh? Why would you ever be unhappy about something uh, that is not true? Hmm? Yeah. If it is, if it is true, we go to question number two. Informed by the happiness equation, hmm? basically, it's there is an event that missed your expectation here, like a fire alarm. Your brain is alerting you that something is wrong. What do we do about a fire alarm? We take action. So, question number two is, what can I do about it? Right. Of yeah. If if my if your partner actually doesn't love you anymore, and you could pre- prove that with with accurate information, then maybe you should take action. Maybe you should talk to them. Maybe you should consider leaving. Right. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But if you don't take that action, you're going to stay in the unhappiness forever. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you if you take the action, then you're going to change your world, make your world a little better. And at the same time, lose the, the, the feeling of unhappiness because events don't miss expectations anymore, anymore because you just changed the event. So, so basically, by taking action, you change the event and your, uh, your conditions are, are a lot better. If that's, if that's you know, um, if you can do something about it, do it. And you're, you're now a little happier. If there isn't, 
then it's time for question number three. And question number three is really what I normally call the Jedi Master level of happiness, which is the idea of, yes, sometimes things happen that make us unhappy and, you know, we cannot change them. Losing, losing Ali, my wonderful son, is an example of that. You know, Ali, Ali, you know, leaves the world for for suddenly at you know for a human error and so on. And I could hit my head against the wall for twenty seven years. It's not he's not going to come back. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is no nothing you can do to change it. You know, the government locks you down, and they say, okay, you can't we can't walk around the streets anymore. Yeah, you can you know um, um, get naked and hang yourself from the ceiling and shout and scream. Nobody's going to change anything. You're not the prime minister. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so basically, when when you get to those situations when uh, when you cannot change something, the Jedi Master level of happiness is is something I call co- co- um, committed acceptance. And committed acceptance is the ability to accept your life when you can't change it, and then commit to change what you can so that your life becomes better despite the 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 challenges that you face. So, Ali Ali dies. I cannot change that. But I can commit to sharing his, um, you know, happiness model with the world. I can, I can commit to sharing his story with the world, which doesn't bring him back. Don't make no mistake. But it makes me feel better that it wasn't for nothing that he left, and it mm-hmm. makes the world better because Ali's wisdom is now shared with the with the rest of the world. And and when you say think about life this way, committed acceptance truly is the path. To, con- to constant happiness. It's it's basically saying, even if life beats me in a way that I cannot uh, win, I will still find the path to make my life a little better every day and make the life of others better every day despite the, 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 the challenge. And, and when you do that, it's very, very hard to make you unhappy because you're constantly engaged in things that make you happy. It's so powerful. And I think why you, in my opinion, why you've kind of garnered this this huge audience is not just because of the wisdom of yours and Ali's, obviously, but is because also you sort of drown out all these uh, it, it, crazy thoughts that I think we have in the modern world with with just really pure logic. And that's what I found so powerful. I think when you're, particularly if you're in a bit of a funk in your own head, I think that can be very mm-hmm. grounding as, yeah. you know, as, as much as it sort of is, is helpful. You sort of almost need someone to hold your hand and, and, and intelligently, but actually quite basically just talk about, you know, um, it, it just makes sense, right? It just kind of breaks down all of the, uh, I think probably symptomatic of, you know, you write the book on the stress of that, yeah. this sort of stressful world, how we get ourselves into, you know, we call it a tiz. Do you know what I mean? It's just out of control. It, it, it really, it really is not that complicated. So, so you, really, the 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 issue is we overcomplicate everything. We waste so many cycles on stuff that really isn't that complicated. If you you know, if you think about fitness, huh? I'm I'm almost certain wherever yeah. you are that you, there must be four hundred thousand personal trainers within fifty kilometers from you that claim to you that fitness is the most complex thing on the planet and you have to have 14 grams of this and three grams of that and you have to step, you know, not really. Fitness, if you really take the the, the helicopter view, is make it your priority. So make choices based on fitness where, with fitness as your priority and go to the gym four to five times a week. Yeah. Work out. 
four to five times a week, right? I mean, unless you want to be, you know, Mr. Universe or Miss Universe or Mr. Olympia or whatever, I don't know. For sure. Unless you want to be one of those, you don't really have to exercise as per that complexity of how things are. It completely, it reminds me, Mo, I remember when I was like a teenager and I wanted to lose some weight or something and I was doing some really complex diet. My dad said to me, what are you reading that for? It's as simple as put less in your mouth and move more. I said, oh, thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. That's well, you could write the book, couldn't you? It could just be that. Actually, that's exactly what I write. What what, what I write simply is if you know the real truth, the truth is make happiness your priority, okay? And go to the happiness gym three to four times a week. How do you go to the happiness gym? Just like you go to the real gym, spend an hour a day, three to four times a week, watching a documentary, listening to a uh, to a podcast, you know, reading a book, whatever you like, okay? And just tr- train your skills. It's literally, it, through neuroplasticity, it literally is like your muscles. You know, one, one of the reasons why I am much more calm in my life today is I haven't watched a horror movie for the last 16 years. I haven't watched a, a violent movie for the last 12 and a half years. Right. These things train our minds. They train our minds. They're literally like the gym. Huh? And by the way, the gym is not discriminative. If you go to the gym and lift, you know, uh, uh, sh- shoulder presses all day, mm-hmm. you're going to look like a triangle. If you do squats all day, you're going to look like a pair. Right. It's, it's as simple as yeah. that. And that's the, the reality of of what we do with our brains. We we watch the news all day that is full of lies and negativity. I say lies because the truth is only the whole truth, mm-hmm. right? And, and and the media reports only the negative side of the truth. And so so what you train your brain, you're train your training your brain that the world is horrible and that everything is wrong and that we're all gonna die. Well, how do you expect your brain to react to that? It will feel very unhappy. Mm-hmm. And it's about, I think, the whole life edit, right? I mean, that's the same of sort of uh, toxic conversations, people that don't Absolutely. necessarily serve you well, activities that, you know, aren't, aren't, are no longer sort of, you know, well-matched for you. It's, it's about kind of committing in the first instance to turn away from everything that brings mm-hmm. you, you know, anything less than the vibes that you you want to embrace. Absolutely. So, yes, again, it's, it's, it's simple stuff, but I just don't think we live in a, in a, very logical um is this simple sort of the wrong word but we don't live in a world that uh, brings things back to basics in this way unfortunately no but but it's up to each and every one of us i mean the choices i've just discussed uh, these are not privileges that are you know reserved for me hmm? mm. in, in, taking a friend out of your life because they're making your life miserable is is not something that only kings and queens are allowed to do Everyone is allowed to make those choices. The question is, how much of your day and week and month do you spend reflecting on those things that are making you unhappy? Remember, you are born happy. Happiness is the absence of unhappiness. If you remove the reasons for unhappiness, your, your default setting is happy. You don't have to try to, to do anything. So remove them. Just sit down and remove all of those things. If you know, if negativity is coming from the news, remove the news. If it's coming from an annoying friend, apologize and say, I love you, but I don't want to spend time with you anymore. Hey! Hey! Mo, let's talk a little bit about your um your new book or the book, the middle book, I should say, because you're writing so many, <laughs> but scary smart, which is which seems a little bit of a departure, I suppose, from some of the other books that you've written. And when you sent it through to me, 
um, you said, oh, don't worry, it's not about AI because it it does sound like it's about AI. And it kind of is, but it's not. (laughs) uh, Well, it is, but I suppose what I mean by that is, you know, not to be alienating to everyone this is a this is a book that i think um is is actually a really important read for for all of us and um you're you're better off explaining it than i am but yeah what i'm really interested in is is is, sorry it's just the is the concept of how we all know ai is becoming you know smarter than humans I need you to give me some stats on that because I think that we really need to yeah. we really need to get that into our heads and then about the call the call to action that the book really the book really is about. Yeah, so 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 this is truly the the whistleblower on uh, on artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, just for 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 people to to understand, I I I was the chief business officer of Google X for many years, and so uh, you know, and worked at Google for twelve years. So so I have been at the center of all of this technology. And uh, and the truth is, there is much less shared about the truth of AI than what we know. Now, Scary Smart, however, That's is scary. not- scary. Sadly is. Huh? Yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, it's not a book about artificial intelligence. If you, if you think about Solve for Happy as a book that's written in the modern age to, to facilitate happiness, the character of our modern age from a technological point of view is artificial intelligence, okay? And so what uh, what, what Scary Smart is, uh, is about is a reminder of what it, it means to be human in an age where everything is becoming digital, okay? And and it, what it means to be human to save humanity because if we don't learn to become human again, we're at a very, very serious risk of being taken over by machines that will exaggerate our current traits. And our current traits, sadly, are narcissism, rudeness, uh, uh, egocentricity, um, uh, and, and so many, so many, so many bad, bad characters, violence, and so on. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let me tell you Let me tell you at a very top level. The, the book starts in a setting which is basically set in the year 2055. Mm-hmm. You and I are imagining that we're sitting together, uh, um, uh, you know, in the middle of nowhere in front of a campfire, and at the beginning of the book, I don't tell you if we're in the middle of nowhere 2055 because we're escaping from the machines or because the machines have created such a utopia that we have the freedom and safety uh, uh, to connect and be out in nature and enjoy our life. Okay. And mm-hmm. the difference between those two really is how are you going to behave as a human between now and 2055, right? The, the, the thing is, is, is what follows. And I don't want to go a lot into the technical details. You don't have to look very far to realize how intelligent artificial intelligence is. You just have to pay attention. By the year 2029, now, yes, you heard that right, eight years away, hmm? uh, the smartest being on the planet is not going to be a human anymore. It's going to be a computer. I Just before we kind of get to the sort of the most the worst case scenario, and then I suppose where the book's coming from, the best case scenario, can you just explain, because I've been trying to explain this book uh, to, to, to my friends, the part that I think most people can't get their head around is that we all understand the, the concepts of AI accelerating to a degree that it can play chess 
better than someone or it can drive a car. The bit that people I think are not aware of and or can't understand as well is the more feeling part of AI, the more knowing part of AI, which ultimately is, I think, the scariest part because that really is the bit that replaces the humans and then, then leads to the worst case and the best case scenarios. Can you Absolutely. explain it, how that's going to happen? Yeah. So, so this is me blowing the whistle here. Huh? The, yeah. the truth is this is the the least discussed part of artificial intelligence. Yeah. Now, at the, at the very, very top level, please understand that AI in every way is a form of a sentient being. Okay. It's capable of consciousness. It's capable of emotion and it is capable of ethics. And, and the whole game, and as a matter of fact, my entire proposition of a solution is to say, let them be as intelligent as they want to be. As a matter of fact, love them for it, mm-hmm. but teach them the right ethics. Because the truth is, we don't make decisions based on our intelligence. We make decisions based on our intelligence through the lens of our ethics. Now, let me explain. Huh? Yeah. Consciousness is a form of awareness. It's, it's for us to be able to become aware of the world around us. Some of us have limited consciousness. We're not even aware of what's happening inside us or what's happening, you know, uh, that, that our shoulders hurt. And some of us are hyper-conscious. We call them psychics. They could be aware of things that we most of us are not aware of. And, and this is not psychics like the ones you see in the movies. It is well known, for example, that uh, the United States government runs uh, remote viewing uh, units where people can actually be psychic spies. They can, they can see uh, things beyond physical borders. And believe it or not, you know, there has been a, a TED talk from a CIA, a former CIA uh, general or something like that, uh, that basically spoke about the fact that uh, uh, they trained 30 people, none of which were ever known to have psychic abilities, and all 30 of them were capable of, of remote viewing. Wow. Now, consciousness, yeah, so, so the, the idea of consciousness, if you take consciousness as a form of awareness, hmm, uh, we are aware because of our sensor, sensors, if I call them, uh, your eyes, your ears, your, 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 your gut feeling, your intuition, and so on and so forth. There are many more sensors that AI is uh, equipped with. They are aware of everything everywhere in the world at the same time. They are aware of the amount of CO2 in Beijing and the temperature in uh, in Thailand. They are aware of the movement of humans around the planet. They are aware of every uh, hole in the floor in uh, in. Uh, in a street where self-driving cars is going to uh, to drive. They're aware of all of the knowledge of humanity that's ever been documented on the internet. And they're aware that humans really, really like it when a girl shakes her bum on Instagram. They're aware of all of that, okay? And, and it's really quite eye-opening that we don't understand that this is a form of awareness. As a matter of fact, the, 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 uh, the biggest side of awareness of AI is very different than you and I, because if I have an accident or I avoid an accident with my car, I learn to drive better, but you don't. When it comes to self-driving cars, when one of them uh, it requires a, you know, what we call a human intervention, uh, uh, basically to, to some, a human to take over uh, so that they don't get into an accident, which was the way we trained them to start, 
Every other car learns. Every other AI on the planet understands that mistake, recognizes the object that was, was would have led to an accident, and every one of them becomes a better driver. So from an awareness point of view, they have a memory capacity that way uh, surpasses any human being. It's the memory capacity of the internet itself. They have processing power that is much faster than any human being, so they can understand knowledge and so on. And they connect across wireless lines much better than human beings, much faster. That consciousness creates an environment uh, that, that triggers emotions. And humans, once again, believe that emotions are those you know, mystical things that just pop up, you know, inside us. That's not true at all. As, as I just explained in the happiness flowchart, every emotion is triggered by a thought and every emotion takes that thought, uh, that, that thought through uh, uh, an equation, really a very predictable form. Huh? Envy is you have what I wish I had, but I don't. It's a very predictable, uh, uh, you know, uh, mm -hmm. emotion. A anger is, uh, you know, I'm so threatened by you, I'm going to hiss you away. Uh, hate is our value system uh, differs so drastically that I feel that feeling about you. Disgust is it might physically be bad for me. I want to avoid it. Okay. Yeah. And, and so on and so forth. It is, it is, it's very, very straightforward to understand all emotions, by the way, just for, uh, for the record, other than unconditional love. It's the only emotion that I couldn't write an equation for. Now, the, the, the rest of it is mathematical. It is logical. Those machines will feel emotions. They will feel panic. They will feel hate. They will feel fear. Hmm? And, uh, and they will feel anger, just like a cat feels uh, uh, panic and a human feels panic, we, we just act differently. We feel it differently and we act differently. And hopefully with higher intelligence, those machines will be able to act uh, nobly if you want. So I think that's kind of like the big bombshell, isn't it? As you said before, we, we, we've always assumed that they were those, those sort of mystical things that, that, that only humans can um, purvey and actually they are really predictable and i think we we we've just never realized that and that fact which therefore is really an, a wide open door for computers to be able to to just to take us on so what's the so what's then the um what is the call the 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 call for good out of yeah. knowing this fact I, I understand so, so 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 by by the end of that scary part i have to tell you when i was writing myself i was like what am i doing here i mean like i i really what's the answer and the answer is really very straightforward and i'll tell you this very very briefly there's absolutely nothing wrong with the machines absolutely nothing wrong with them there is a lot wrong with us Okay, mm. and and when you when you think about how the machines are learning, all of those emotions, all of those, uh, all of this logic, all of that knowledge, hmm, they're learning it from us, and that is the core of the challenge. And the core of the challenge is this: um, if if we expose the machines to um, to the negativity of humanity to the level that we are right now. They're going to uh, learn from mommy and poppy. You are mommy and poppy. Okay. You and I are the parents of those uh, artificially intelligent infant beings. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, they, they will learn from us. And believe it or not, they're not going to learn from the worst of us because the worst of us is always going to be a horrible human being. 
okay they're going yeah. to they're going to learn from the average of us and that is my call to action my call to action is the following huh? when when someone goes and and shoots uh, uh, you know uh, teachers and students in a school that's one evil person and 40 million people this uh, despising it okay humanity is good at heart but in the modern world we've sort of somehow forgotten how to show that okay so when when donald trump was allowed to tweet donald trump was would tweet one horrible tweet followed by 30000 hate speech okay the machines yeah. if the machines had seen donald trump's tweet only they would dismiss it as irrelevant and irrelevant non representative of humanity okay the challenge we have today is that we all follow that same rule we're all trying to add toxic positivity out there we're all trying to uh, make the other person feel less than we are we're all you know there are so many habits that we're starting to show maybe we learn them from reality tv or we learn them from the pressure of the world we we lie so constantly it's really really eye opening that humanity not the worst of us but all of us is degrading okay now i will tell you openly none of us are doing this because we're bad humans most of the people that you will ever meet are wonderful okay we're doing it because we're mindlessly following what the what we think is the new world that we live in now i researched the entire book about the idea of what can humanity agree on as the one thing or the few things that we can teach those machines and it's actually not a not a big deal at all humanity will never agree hmm, on most of the ethics that humanity calls ethics because you know some people will say killing the other guy is patriotic and other people will say killing anything is horrible right mm -hmm. and and you know maybe patriotic yeah if the other guy is attacking you i don't know so it's very very um uh, difficult to judge the only emotions or the only ethics I found that humanity agreed on everywhere in the world, across all ages, across all uh, uh, walks of life, are three. We all want to be happy. We all want others that we care about to be happy. We all want to be loved and give love. Okay, These are the only three emotions that are the essence of who we are as humans. And if we can portray this to the world, okay constantly each and every one of us or at least many of us the machines will be intelligent enough to understand that mommy and daddy want to be happy they want to be loved they love me and they want to make others happy and love others right and if that is the role model we show to the world i promise you ai will become an incredibly intelligent but also incredibly noble digital non-biological sentient being and if that is the case they will be on our side if that's not the case sadly they will start to question why do i need humanity at all well if that's not a call to action if that's not you know um a a, a reason for us to you know look at um kindness and compassion as something that you know need to absolutely have to be prioritized i i really don't know what is um yeah. i really urge everyone to to read that book that's um you were very kind to give me an advanced copy and it's 
the most interesting thing I have I've read this year. So thank you. Mo, I need to ask you, as we do on every Neom podcast, about your five well-being tips. I'm slightly sheepish, sheepishly asking you that because <laughs> you, you told me you've got 50. I bet you've got 500. But can I take some personal ones from you? I don't know, some... Give me five that you think okay. these are really, really useful. Before, before I do this, I want to tell people that uh, that Scary Smart is available for pre-ordering. Uh, pre-ordering really helps me spread the message. So if you believe that this is a message that needs to be spread, please go ahead and pre-order it. And I'm running definitely. A, I'm, I'm running a, always pre-order books, guys. It's yeah. so important if you believe in the message or the you want to support the author. I always do that. So, yeah, and, yeah, and I'm I'm running a couple of promos that I think people will enjoy. I will send. Uh, 50 uh, uh, of the pre-orders if you if you if you pre-order print your pre-order whatever confirmation and send it to win at mogauda.com you'll be into a draw that where you can get an advanced signed copy of a limited edition and you fantastic and, and you will be invited to dinner uh, with me when oh. I'm in London in uh, September so uh, think about that win at mogauda.com now um fantastic what what do I want what, what are my five happiness tips one is your five well well-being 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 so, you know, you spread it a bit yeah you can spread that a little bit wider okay 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 so all right um, number one is uh well-being is truly your life's uh, priority not because it's a nice fun feeling to have nice. but but because it actually is the ultimate form of performance uh, or the optimum for, form of a survival and performance for you so just think about it this way when you get a little bit of a sore throat you do something about it uh, because you know that unless you're healthy you can't perform in life similarly unless you're in the best shape uh, you know happiness and well-being that you can be you cannot perform in life i love that how you always put your engineer spin on everything mo you know <laughs> well-being has been for so long kind of the domain of i don't know uh white linen wearing yoga doing women and mm. you know and and i love how you sort of pulled it you know, right over to performance enhancement it, to it totally is it totally is yeah. and, and think about it the days where you feel okay are the best days that you've ever contributed to the world. Think of your happiness as your duty for those that you love. Number two is like anything hmm, that you make a priority, please make your decisions based on that priority. So the next time you interview for a job, don't interview for a job that will pay you $100 more. Interview for a job that will serve your happiness and well-being. Okay? And at the same yeah. time, like everything that you make a priority, put the effort so go to the happiness gym, as I said, uh, once, uh, you know, one hour a day, three to four times a week by learning something about what makes you happy or stopping something that makes you unhappy. That's number two. Number three is, believe it or not, hmm, the ultimate form of happiness and well-being is not found in our Western culture. It's found in Eastern cultures. And that basically is all about the fact that we are one. We are a, a unit. Humanity is a tribe. The reason we survived is not because of the smartest of us, but the reason we survived as a species is because of all of us combined. Okay, And so believe yeah. it or not, nothing makes you happier, happier. Nothing makes you feel better as a human than compassion for others to make others happy and, and well too. Okay, and so I connecting, uh, yeah, uh, quite, uh, exactly, and and I I urge you to do something that has another person in mind, even another animal in mind, another insect in mind, once a day. 
My tip number four is none of that happens without awareness. Okay, and awareness is a deep topic that's probably worth four podcast conversations. But it starts with um, with spending time with yourself, spending time really thinking deeply about what am I eating that's causing me intolerances. What? How do I sit, and what is is that really hurting my back? Uh, you know, how do I respond to people? How am I listening to people? What's going on inside my head? What do I feed myself instead in, ter- in terms of knowledge and information? I, I, you know, and and all of that stuff. Huh? So a, a state of awareness is not through meditation. Huh? Remember, meditation is to try and sort of train your brain so that you can be in control of it. So calmness is not the target. The target is to become aware. And that sometimes means the opposite of meditation. It means sitting for an hour, becoming aware of every thought that's in your head, you know, becoming aware of everything that you ate yesterday, becoming aware of everything that your partner has said in the last, uh, you know, a couple of hours when you were arguing. Okay. And all of that is really the core for any change whatsoever that you can uh, achieve in your life. And tip number five, hmm, that is uh, a precious position to give away. I would say um, tip number five is attend to yourself first before you help others. Uh, you know, remember when we used to fly around the world like crazy maniacs destroying the environment? And when mm-hmm. we got on an airplane, the first thing that they told us uh, was uh, put your mask on first before you help another. I, I think yeah. that's the truth. Many of us are so motivated by wanting to make the, the world a better place. And, and I commend that and I love that about us as humanity. Uh, the best way to make the world a better place is for you to become a better person. Okay. And, and, you know, like my son used to teach me, when you become so good at something, the mission comes, the mission arrives. Okay. You don't choose your life's purpose if you want. Your life purpose chooses you when you're ready for it. When you're ready, life will come and say, you're good, you're good, you're doing well, why don't you help two more people? And then when you help two more people, it will say help four and help seven, and then maybe help your entire city or entire community. So so if I would ask anyone to do anything for, 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 for yourself today, it would be to spread the message. If you've learned anything today that helped you, tell two people and you know ask them to tell two people and ask them to tell two people. And that's the core of my One Billion Happy mission is if two people tell two people who tell two people, we will reach a billion happy people around the world in five years. It's absolutely, absolutely worth it. I mean, I, I actually feel like 10 times better. I mean, just listen <laughs> you. to you. And um, if anyone doesn't know, Mo has a brilliant podcast as well called Slow Mo, um, which, is, which is fantastic. If you want to listen to more from Mo, he's got some great guests on there as well. I highly, highly recommend that. I think for me, it just proves that listening also and having great friends, not just, Absolutely. you know, reading your books, but, you know, having those friends that speak in those kind of wise and and upbeat sort of ways, just like talking to you for an hour is so important to, to sort of hunt those people out and connect with them because it can be so, so, so powerful, but like just listening to you is. So listen, thank you so, so much for coming on. I'm, I've learned a million things from um, thank from, you from you from from you just today so um, I really appreciate it thank you so much for hunting me down on Instagram I absolutely um, uh, I'm sorry I didn't answer the first time but uh, but <laughs> okay. I, I'm very happy that I did answer I'm so so grateful that you hosted me 
And I hope. Thank uh, you, Mo. I hope it gets. Thank it, you. Gets we will. We will definitely. We will definitely spread the word in our in our Neom community for sure. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>